0: Good morning, Maple Grove. Good morning. All right, awesome. Hey, let's do this. Uh, Matthew 13, through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value... He went away and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Heavenly Father, we we humbly come into your presence, and God, we are so grateful that you are the God of the breakthrough. And Lord, that no matter what we're going through, what we're facing because of who you are, because of what you promised, uh, because of the future we have in you, because you're always with us, we always have a reason to praise. And God, I pray this morning as we, we talk some more about the kingdom. God, help us to see the incredible worth and value of the kingdom your son established 2,000 years ago. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would enable me to speak well uh, for the Father this morning. God, I pray that each of us will lean in and have open minds, open hearts, and open ears, and that we'll listen alive and actively. In Jesus' name, amen imagine, are you imagining? Okay, good, good. Imagine that you live in a country ruled by a cruel dictator. I mean, he controls the army. He controls the government. He controls the media. He controls the economy. And it's a very subtle, yet a very real kind of control. Everything is done in this country to keep you domesticated and compliant. But somehow inside, you know you're not free. And this cruel dictator uses the media to tell you things like if you're overweight you're not thin enough if you're thin you're not muscular enough if you're muscular you're not smart enough if you're conservative you're not liberal enough if you're liberal you're not conservative enough if you're poor you're not rich enough if you're rich you're not rich enough He uses his media to tell you things like you do not wear the right clothes, have the right car, possess the right education, live in the right neighborhood, have the right skin color, use the right deodorant, own the right cell phone, and have the right hairstyle if you have any hair at all. He tells you that you need more money. And to get more money, you need a better economy. And to get a better economy, you need different political parties. And to get different political parties, you need better opinions. And to get better opinions, you need to listen to his media more. And if you listen to his media more, you hear lots of ads that tell you that you are not thin enough, muscular, smart, knowledgeable, popular, rich, or good enough. And he keeps you in this little rat race of domestication by keeping you busy. And you're starting to get tired of this. And you wonder if there's a better way of living. You wonder if there's another place to live. And every once in a while, you meet these visitors from another country who seem to be really happy. And and it's a real happiness, not the pseudo-plastic, painted-on-Photoshop happiness that you're so used to. And you wonder why they would ever visit your country because your country is so depressing and they seem so happy. And you notice that whenever these vacationers come, they tell everyone they meet about their country. Now, you never really paid attention before, but you start to listen. Life in their country sounds incredible, almost too good to be true. So you decide to sneak over for a visit to check things out for yourself. And since your borders are are tightly controlled, you have to go through the mountains and on foot and you sleep at night and travel during the day. And it takes several weeks, but you eventually get there. And so you visit this country, you walk the streets, you grab a coffee at a sidewalk cafe, you sit on park benches, you watch, you observe, and you listen And you're amazed by what you see. I mean, it's so different from your country. in this country, they don't compete. They serve. Uh, They don't hate. They love. In this country, they don't look out for number one. They look out for each other. In this country, they don't use their tongues to tear people down. They use their words to build people up. In this country, they don't hold grudges. They forgive. Uh, They don't point fingers. They lend hands. They don't assume the worst about everybody. They actually assume the best. And in this country, they don't become easily angered, and they no longer keep a record of those who had wronged them. And they don't tell you that you're not smart enough, rich enough, pretty enough, talented enough, successful enough, or good enough. Instead, they tell you that you're loved and accepted, precious and wonderful, just as you are. And there's a sense of reverence in the air. I mean, you can feel it. And it feels so much better than the sense of haste and rush and hurry, and competition, and cheapness, and image management that you are so used to. And you notice that in this other country, that the people in your country that are last, the poor, the elderly, the orphan, the less fortunate, are not only not treated bad, but they're treated with unusual respect and honor. In fact, they're treated like they're the most valuable people of all. And as you travel secretly through this country, you feel a sense of excitement. And you begin to have powerful and compelling visions of a different way to live. And you realize that there's a a lot you don't understand, but you also realize that you feel more at home here than you ever did in your own country. I mean, you feel like you have found a precious treasure hidden in the field. In fact, you're so excited that you begin to consider selling all you have just to live there. And so you decide you're going to immigrate to this new country. You go back home, you get your affairs in order. In a few days, you walk out of the door of your old way of life for the last time, wondering what it will take to live in this new country and feeling for the first time in years hopeful about the days ahead. Brothers and sisters, welcome to church. Welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the Gospel of Matthew. Welcome to our deep dive into the most famous prayer in the world, a prayer that God's people have been praying for, Ever since Jesus unveiled it in his kingdom manifesto, I mean, think about it. For 2,000 years, whenever people who love Jesus have gathered, they have prayed this prayer in Europe and in Africa, in the Far East and in the Near East, in mud huts and stone cathedrals, underground and in public places. And listen, the truths, the concepts, and the insights that Jesus packed into this 72-word prayer contain the power to mold and reshape our lives Entirely. Our individual lives, our family lives, our community, our world. Overstatement, exaggeration, not at all. Now, so far in this journey, we've looked at the first 25 words of this prayer Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our calls us into community, to relationship. The word Father invites us into intimacy with the Maker of heaven and earth. Yes, God is the sovereign King of the universe who breathes out stars and stretches out galaxies, but He is also our Father. Behold what love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Hallowed be your name, calls us to live lives that are different, distinct, set apart from the world around us. Hallowed be your name calls us to pursue a life of personal progressive holiness bringing honor and glory to god's name by the way that we live and last sunday we began our deep dive into these 14 words your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and we did that by answering a few questions one question was what is the kingdom the kingdom is the rule and reign of god in the heart of man It's God's will being done in the hearts of men. Question number two was, what does the kingdom look like? And we looked at several images that we see both in the Old and New Testament that describe what the kingdom looks like when God's will is done in the hearts of men. And it kind of looks a little bit like the country that are described as we began today. And then we answered, where is the kingdom? We said the kingdom is coming and the kingdom is already here. Now we know that the kingdom, that God's perfect rule is coming. I mean, we know that one day the trump will sound, the archangel will shout, the sky will split open, and Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will descend and make everything new. Yes, the kingdom is coming, and it's going to be so awesome that one day live in a world where God's rule in the hearts of man is experienced in all its fullness. When as John writes in Revelation, when Revelation eleven fifteen, when the whole earth has become the kingdom of our Lord. What is he writes in Revelation chapter 21, when God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death. Someone say no more death. No more, death. No more mourning or crying or pain. That sounds pretty good. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Yes, the kingdom is coming, and it's going to be more glorious and more wonderful than we could ever imagine. Is anybody looking forward to living there? Man, I mean, some days I'm like, I'm ready to go, but I I know it's his timing, not mine, right? But listen, the very real way, the kingdom's already here. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus did not come merely to save us from our sins and punch our ticket to heaven as needed and as awesome as those things are. He came to establish the kingdom. As I mentioned last week, the kingdom was the central focus of Jesus' ministry. He taught about the kingdom. He told parables to describe the kingdom. And he came to establish the kingdom. He just couldn't stop talking about the kingdom. In fact, Jesus talked about the kingdom more than he talked about faith, prayer, and love added together. The kingdom was always on his mind and always on his lips from the beginning of his ministry when he defeated the evil in the wilderness to the end of the ministry when he stood bound before Pilate and after his resurrection. As Jesus said in Luke four forty-three, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns because that is why I was sent. Why was he sent? To proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God question, but why was Jesus so consumed with proclaiming the kingdom? Because the kingdom was and still is God's plan to get back what was lost in the garden. And what was lost in the garden? Image and intimacy. You see, in the beginning, God created man in his own image and likeness. And I'm saying the garden, Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God. And with each other. I mean like God would literally take walks with them in the cool of the morning. But not long after creation came the crisis. When Adam and Eve chose to sin and disobey God. Not only creating a barrier in the relationship with God but also with each other and distorting the image of God within them. Image and intimacy was lost. Now how did How does God respond to this crisis created by Adam and Eve? Does he abandon humanity and leave us in the mess that we made? Does he destroy mankind and start over? Does he take away our free will and force us to behave? Our God and Father does none of the above. Instead, God put together a crisis response team of nations, people, priests, and kings who would unveil the plan that one day would reach its ultimate culmination in the coming of Jesus. Understand, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, everything has changed. And the intimacy and image that was lost in the garden can now be restored. Jesus came to establish the kingdom. And now forgiveness of sins is now available to all people. Removing once and for all time the barrier that it separate mankind from God and bringing back once again garden and intimacy and restoring the image of God in us through the sanctifying, and that just means making us more like Jesus, right? That's a big church word we can throw out every now and All right? And making us more like Jesus. The, the image of God is restored in us through the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in us because we surrendered to Jesus. And listen, God living in us is a big deal. I'm going to say that again. The presence of the living God living inside of us is a stinking big deal. Amen? Okay? Two of you are awake. I'm going to keep you longer now. In fact, it's the heartbeat, the lifeblood, the power of kingdom living. Understand, God's presence in us is what empowers us to live lives that are radically different than the world. Lives where God's kingdom and God's will 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 be done in us in some awesome, mind-blowing ways. Creating a community where people don't compete, they serve. Don't hate, they love. Don't look out for number one, but they look out for each other. Don't use their tongue to put people down, but to speak words that build others up. Don't hold grudges, they forgive. It it creates a community that where we don't point fingers, we lend hands. Where we don't wait to be served, but we reach out to serve others. Where we don't hate our enemies, but we love our enemies. It it creates this community where, where people bring hope to the hopeless, freedom to the captives, healing to the hurting, wholeness to the broken, Belonging to the lonely, food to the hungry, drink to the thirsty, meaning to the drifting, and most importantly of all, salvation to those who are lost. Lives are created community where people bring hope to the hopeless. You know any people without hope? Freedom to the captive. You know anybody held captive by anything? Healing to the hurting. Any hurting people out there? Wholeness to the broken. Any broken people out there? Belonging to the lonely. Any lonely people in our world? Food to the hungry. Drink to the thirsty. Meaning to the drifting. And most importantly, salvation and eternal life to the lost. I mean, can you see why Jesus was so excited about the kingdom? And and so consumed by it and why we as well must be consumed by it? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this morning, October 30, 2022, we're going to finish our deep dive into these words by answering a few more questions. Before we do, let's talk about Membership Sunday. <laughs> hey, um, and it is Membership Sunday, and I've been mentioning about the fact that those who are here already, the opportunity to re-up. And I'm going to show some things in the slide in that final video um, where I talk about structure, how we get it done. There's a, I talk about what church membership means and, and what is expected of a church member and really all that's expected is what Jesus expects. And you'll see under all these chairs um, is a little card here and I'm going to read what's on it. You'll see it pop up on the screen. Um, there's a place where you can sign your name and print it too. because Sometimes our handwriting aren't the best. Some of you are pharmacists or doctors, right? And, uh, when we grab our communion and offering, you have the opportunity to, to place your sign sheet to say, I'm, I'm recommitting. And, and there's, a, there's a quarter sheet over there that has just a reminder of what you signed, right? So you can take something with you. Um, but, but let me just read this to you. Um, you know, today, October 30th, I'm re-upping as a member of Maple Grove Christian Church. And in so doing, I'm recommitting to protect the unity of the church by acting in love towards other members By using my tongue to build others up, Um, I'm committing to share the responsibility for the mission of the church, praying for its growth, attending faithfully, inviting others to attend, pursuing a life on mission, belong, grow, serve, engage, right? And giving regularly, right? And so, you know, all of us, right? and on the sheets here, they're scriptures. I didn't put them there, but they're all scriptures. Like, none of this is made up. Like, I'm not expecting, we're not expecting anything from you that Jesus doesn't expect. And just know, we all know that commitment matters, right? You know, commitment to a job, to a marriage, to a family, to a dream, to a education, to uh, an exercise plan. Commitment matters. And commitment to our mission matters. Because it's a commitment that has an eternal impact. See, nothing on earth that you can commit to has the power to change the eternal destinies of people, right? Uh, this week, we read Revelation chapter 20 in, in our Bible reading program. And when I got my new phone, I lost my Bible reading thing, and I couldn't log back on because it was email I couldn't remember, you know. And, and so, when you see Steve M. Malone, that's actually me now, the... Steve Host is gone, right? He's he's gone. He no longer exists because I can't find him anymore. Right? Um, but I, I read these words and they really I found them very sobering. Revelation twenty fifteen, it says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into lake of fire. Family members? Anyone. Friends? Anyone. Co workers? Anyone classmates, anyone, people you wave to as you drive into your neighborhood, anyone. I didn't do it. It felt sober to think about it to write down the names of everyone I know that right now that's their future, right? And that's why our commitment matters, right? I mean, nothing you can commit to will change where people spend forever. But you don't have the opportunity to play a part in someone being in heaven. I mean, wouldn't that be cool someday when someone looks at you and says, man, I'm so glad that you shared your faith with me because of you. I'm here, and my wife's here, and my family's here, and my grandkids are here, all right? And so that's why commitment matters. And that's why we're saying, hey, it's time to re-up because the mission is still alive and needs to happen. Amen? And so there's pens everywhere. You can pick up, sign those things, you know, um, and just a, a way of some accountability. All right, some questions as we, as we wrap up or study on the kingdom. Um, How do we get in on it? How do we get in on the kingdom? And I want to answer that question, and I want to pick up with the story that I told at the beginning. You know, you leaving this country and immigrating to a new country. And, And so just think about what you experienced. You experienced what might be called repentance because you had a way of life that was part of the rat race. Like you were part of the system I mean, you believed them when they said that you got to be thinner, you got to be richer, you you got to be prettier, you got to be more accomplished, you got to be more successful, you got to be cooler. You believed all that junk, but then you started to doubt it, and you began to rethink your life. This isn't the way I want to live anymore. It's not working. It's not producing anything of any real or lasting value. And, and because you have visited this other country, not only have you experienced. Repentance, but you're starting to experience faith because now you have a belief and a confidence that if you could just live in this other country, your life would be much better. Repentance and faith, that's part of what it takes to enter this new country. And so you cross over secretly as you did before at night on foot through the mountains and you come to one of the border towns and you go to the mayor's office. And you say, hey, can I be accepted as a refugee here? Like, do you have any refugee camps I can go to or something? I'm escaping from this other country. I'm tired of living under that totalitarian government. I'm tired of being told what to wear, how to act, how to think, what to say, how to look, and that I'm not good enough and I don't measure up. I can't live under that rule anymore. And the mayor grin says, no, I'm sorry, but I cannot send you to a refugee camp because we don't have any in our country. You can only be a full-fledged citizen here, and we would love for you to become one. If you're ready to leave your old way of living behind, you're welcome here. And then you ask as you pull out a large envelope, hey, I've emptied out all my accounts. How much does it cost? How much do I have to pay? The mayor says, keep your money. You don't pay anything. It's free. It's a gift. Your jaw drops. Your... Heart pounds, your eyes pop wide open and wonder. And you say, yes, I want to live here. I, I, I want to be a part of this new country. And when you say that, they issue a passport and they recommend that you take a bath. They explain that immigrants usually find it wise to wash off the soot and smell of the old country so they can have a clean start in a new homeland. You comply and you're glad you did. And you step outside and you take a deep breath and your lungs feel as if you're breathing in freedom and peace and joy and hope and life. I mean, it's as if the spirit of this new kingdom is actually entering you, giving you both the desire and power to change, to live new. And you find a place to live, you meet some of your neighbors who say that they will help you learn how to live here so you can enjoy life in this new kingdom in all its fullness. Brothers and sisters, this is the kingdom of God. This is where Jesus invites us to live, as citizens of a new and better kingdom, as members of God's divine household, as partakers of a free and powerful reality, as as participants in a hope-bringing, image-and-intimacy-restoring, eternal, destiny-changing mission. Question, who wouldn't want to be a part of something like that? And listen, Jesus makes it really clear that for you and I to get in on the kingdom, we must do three things. Believe, repent, and be born of water and of spirit. A few verses for you. Mark 1:15. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom is near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and spirit. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whatever does not believe will be condemned. So to enter the kingdom, we have to believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he is. Believe that we are who Jesus says we are, that we're men and women created in the image of God whose sin has separated us from that intimacy and has distorted the image of God in us. And then we need to believe that Jesus did what he said he did, that he died on a cross for our sins to bring us back home to the Father. We need to repent. We need to say that my old way of living and thinking is thinking. is <laughs> wrong. It's thinking, thinking. I need to lay down my agenda for living and embrace God's. I need to no longer be the boss and Lord of my life. It's not working out that well anyhow. I need to let you be the Lord of my life. And then we need to be born of water and of spirit. This is talking about Christian baptism. At Jesus' baptism, what do you have? Water and spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when 3,000 are baptized into Christ, what do you have? Repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Water and spirit. And that great promise in Ezekiel 36 about the kingdom, God says, you know what? I will sprinkle you clean with water and I will put my spirit to live inside of you. So how do we get on the kingdom? By believing, repenting, and being born of water and spirit. Now once we're in, what are we supposed to do with it? All right. You know, as I take a close look at the church, at Christianity, as I take a close look and consider my, my walk and experience since December of 1979, I see two things that God's people have frequently done with the kingdom that are not what God wants us to do with the kingdom. And both are pretty common. Again, I, I swam their waters a time or two myself. And what both of these things do is they tame, they domesticate, They civilize and declaw and unplug the radical transforming power that's at hand in the kingdom of God. What they do is they unplug, they declaw, they domesticate, they civilize the transforming power that is within the kingdom of God. Okay, two things not to do. Turn the kingdom into a religious system. Rules, checklists, measuring up, performance. Listen, God did not leave heaven, put on flesh, and die on a cross, to create a new religious system. He came to establish the kingdom. Amen? Kingdom is about as far away as you can get from a religious system. And Jesus made clear in his kingdom manifesto, right, when he said this, right? Because he says that the kingdom and religious religious systems are like oil and water, right? They're like Red Sox fans and Yankee fans. They're like night and day. They're like east and west. They're like country and music, right? You know, they, I I like country music, but it's always good for a joke like cats, right? Um, uh, They could not be further apart, right? He says, I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teaches the law, you cannot earn the kingdom. And it's not that rules don't matter. In fact, they matter a lot. But living the kingdom is much deeper than rules. It's actually about becoming the kind of person that obeys the rules, Right? It's not obeying the rules to become. It's about becoming the kind of person we're doing these things, are just hey, it just kind of makes sense, right? Well, oh, it makes sense to forgive people. It makes sense to use my tongue to build people up, right? It, it, we become a different kind of people. And the second thing not to do with the kingdom is to turn it into what I call mere recreational enjoyment. Now, when you think of the word recreation, what do you think of playing tennis, riding a bike, going to the beach, taking a boat out on the lake, playing golf, taking it in a movie? Here's my definition of recreation. Something that you do and enjoy occasionally in order to renew and refresh yourself. Right? Recreation. And see, you and I face the very real danger of making um, let me just make it personal to me. I, I face the very real danger of making my salvation all about me. You know, Jesus came to the earth to save me from my sins so I can go to heaven, so I can have a better life. And therefore, on occasion, I hook up my boat and trailer for my own personal enjoyment, for my own personal renewal. I go to church because it makes me feel good and meets my needs. I go to church because it helps my marriage, because it gives me a nice place to take my kids and teach them values. And here's, the here's what I am trying try to say. In recreational Christianity, I tend to see God and his kingdom whenever it's convenient so that God will bless my life, bless my marriage, bless my career, bless my finances, rather than me seeking God so that God can shape me into a new person that can go out and bless the world that he so loves. Now, don't get me wrong. We have a great father who loves to bless his children, right? He's good at it. But there's more to the kingdom and fallen Jesus than me. (laughs) There's more to the kingdom than you, than us. See, the passion behind all God's blessings that He pours out on us, and in America, He's poured out a whole lot, is to, for us to be a blessing to others. It's for us to bring others into His kingdom, restoring both intimacy and image. And listen, a belief system that is self centered is not self sustaining. A belief system that is self centered is not self sustaining because we were made in the image of the selfless God. Amen? Does that make sense? It's not, that's not who you are. Your image is not selfish. Your image is not thinking about you. It's like God. Jesus did not come to establish another religious system or to simply give us a recreational faith for our own personal enjoyment. He said he came to establish a kingdom that would through the Spirit create a people like himself who would take back territory that has been lost to the kingdom of darkness. Restoring intimacy and image in this world one life at a time. He came to start a revolution. A transformed life that would change the world. Not through power and might but through truth, love, service and compassion. Okay, that's not what to do with it. What are we to do with it? Number one, we gotta, we gotta live in it. You, you see the The kingdom does not work. The revolution does not become a movement in us unless we live in it, unless we embrace and believe the transforming truths of the kingdom. See, as Jesus follows, we need to live in and believe deeply the truths of who we are now as citizens of the kingdom. And here are just a few of those truths. And I put them on a piece of paper that you guys can have. Some of you may remember, I, I put these together like, maybe like a decade ago, and it came to me this week again. Seven faith convictions. Uh, God told Joshua in Joshua 1.8, do not let the book of the law depart from your mouth. Speak it. Meditate on day and night so that you'll be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous wherever you go. See, there's power in speaking God's truth out loud. There really is. Would you guys stand? We're going to do that right now. We can do that right now. And I got copies at the kiosk. You can pick this up. Put it on your mirror. Keep it in your car. Say these truths out loud. As a Jesus follower, this is all true, okay? And, and I'll, we're going to say it together, and it'll look like we're speaking in tongues and stuff, and, and it's all right, right? Because it's interpreted it right here, right? We got interpreters on the screen, right? Uh, we're going to say each pause, and you guys ready? And, and, like, and there's scriptures, right? I got scriptures for all these. Like, this is really true. Are you guys ready for this? One, two, three. I am radically and completely loved by the King of the universe. Next. I am fully forgiven and free from all shame and condemnation. Next. There is no sin or temptation that I cannot overcome because I have been crucified with Christ. I will walk in confidence and not in fear or anxiety no matter what I face. Because the all powerful, great God is with me. He is good. I trust Him with all my heart. Besides, when all is said and done, I win. I have no insecurity because I see myself as God sees me. My life is not accidental, random, or meaningless, despite how I feel or what anyone else says. Instead, it has great purpose. I've been created to bring glory to God and to live life fully. Because of Christ, I'm not weak or limited, but have all the resources and power I need to live the life He intends for me. Amen. Y'all did good. That's all true, right? I mean, I don't know about you. When I say that stuff out loud, it makes a difference. Do not let God's truth depart from your mouth, right? We got to live in it. And, and, and then, and then we, have to, we have to live it. And, you know, sometimes I think we so overcomplicate our faith that we almost are paralyzed inact- into inactivity, right? I've always loved what a guy named Don Everts wrote in his book, Jesus with 30 feet. Great book. You'll, you would love it. He simplifies the heart of Christianity this way. We overcomplicate it. He simplifies it. To really understand Christianity, we have to go back to the beginning, to put first things first. For starters, Jesus was not a Christian. He never asked anyone to become a Christian. He simply called people to follow him. That's it. That, despite its simplicity, is it. He called people to follow him. Before hurrying on with words and centers of theology, we must pause at the cradle of what we call Christianity. It is never more than Jesus' call. Follow me and a response— dropping familiar nets, and following in faith the santal Jewish man. It's never more than that. 2,000 years of words can do nothing to the simple basic reality of Christianity. Jesus said, follow me, and they did. That is where this thing called Christianity begins, and where our understanding of it must end. End quote. You see, living out the kingdom means following Jesus. It means being like Jesus. It means doing the kind of things that Jesus did when he wore flesh and walked this planet. It means bringing the kingdom into our world just like Jesus brought it into his world. Listen, there's a kingdom of darkness that is stealing the hopes and dreams and lives of so many in our world. And God is calling you and I to invade that darkness with the light of Jesus Christ through the lives that we live. Get it? Good. Listen, the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And whatever Jesus was to his world, God calls and empowers us to be in our world. I love what this really smart guy named N.T. Wright, I'm not sure what N.T. means, maybe it's New Testament, right? But here's, here's what N.T. Wright writes. <laughs> our task as image-bearing, God-loving, Spirit-filled Christians, following Christ and shaping our world it is to announce redemption to a world that has discovered its fallenness. To announce healing to a world that has discovered its brokenness. To proclaim love and trust to a world that knows only exploitation, fear, and suspicion. Our task is to announce in deed and word that the exile is over, to act boldly in God's world in the power of the Spirit. Amen. We need to live in it and we need to live it, right? What is the kingdom worth? kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything and bought it. What is the kingdom worth? It's worth everything, all that we have, all that we are. And brothers and sisters, if we don't see that kingdom is that valuable, We are not seeing the kingdom for what it really is. Listen, during the last 2,000 years, when men and women heard about the kingdom and understood it, they devoted their hearts to it. They sacrificed their possessions for it. They sacrificed their careers for it. They sacrificed their homes for it. They lived for it and they died for it. And they did it with joy. They did laughing, weeping, dancing, unable to believe their good fortune that the kingdom of God was available to them. Yes, one day the kingdom will come in all its fullness. One day there'll be no other kingdoms. One day all other kingdoms will fall and every knee will bow. and There'll be one kingdom, God's kingdom, and we'll experience in all its fullness. Yes, that day is coming, but for now, as C.S. Lewis puts it, Jesus, our king has established little outposts of the kingdom, little pinpoints of light that hold out the promise of better things to come. Little pinpoints of light where his people show the world a different and better way to live. Listen, as you and I let the king reign over us, as we surrender our wills, give up control, deny ourselves, forgive those who hurt us, go the second mile, serve the poor, Turn the other cheek as we follow Jesus, as we as we lean on and learn from the Holy Spirit, we help to establish another outpost of the kingdom. We help to sabotage the plans of Satan. We help to restore image and intimacy into this world, one life at a time. Amen. How awesome is that? We're part of the kingdom. What does it mean to pray these words? It means to pray your kingdom. It means it needs to pray, my kingdom go. Right? Your kingdom, your will, and God's kingdom, and God's will cannot coexist, right? It just, it just can't. Jesus said what in Matthew twenty six thirty nine? not my will, but your will. It's kind of a scary prayer to pray, right? You say, God, my kingdom go. My kingdom go. My will go, your kingdom come, your will come. It means to pray for his kingdom to come. Come in your own life. Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done in my life. Like, what, my, what would my life look like? What would your life look like? If God's will was done in your home, in your relationships, and your marriage, and your conflict, and your attitudes, and your work, and your finances. God, God, your kingdom come into my life. Your God, God, your kingdom come into the life of the people in my world, the people that I love, the people that I know. Like, what would it look like if the kingdom came into the life of your husband, of your wife, of your son, of your daughter, of your aunt, of your uncle, of your coworker, of your neighbor, of that person that you just can't really stand right now? <laughs> What would it look like? What would it look like? We need to pray that and believe that it makes a difference. We need to pray, God, may your kingdom come to Maple Grove. God, may we become a church full of people where you, your will reigns in our hearts. A place where through your spirit, we are striving to restore intimacy and image one life at a time. May your kingdom come in this world. May your kingdom come to Charlottesville. What would that look like? May your kingdom come to Albemarle County, to Virginia. May your kingdom come to those who lead us in Washington, D.C. May your kingdom come and your will be done in our government. What what would it look like? That's what we're praying we pray this. You know, our kingdom go and your kingdom come. And I concluded this last week. I'm going to conclude again with it. And I know the word conclude gets you excited. It's a, real, it's a real conclude. I love you guys. We're part of something special. Robert Frost wrote that poem, right? About two roads diverged in the woods. One day that's heavily traveled. Not many people have traveled this one. And he says, Two roads diverged in a wood. And I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. And believe when I tell you. The road where we, and this is our reset day, brothers and sisters, right? We're recommitting. People join. We're recommitting to our mission. The road where you and I regularly pray and strive to live out, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven, in the lives of people I know and love and care about as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come and your will be done at Maple Grove as it is in heaven. God may your kingdom come and your will be done in our community and our country and our world as it is in heaven. Is most definitely the road less traveled, right? And I pray that we have the courage to travel it. Because it really will make all the difference. Amen. Amen. Hey uh We're going to we're going to sing our closing song and and know that, you know, I always take a fire hose, you guys. That's why we have Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, whatever, you know, YouTube, whatever. You know, um, I have notes that you can grab. There's actually some talking points. Uh, I'm going to give them a name. I'm going to call them Three for, three for the Road. Uh, I, I have a dumb name this week, Talking Points, but I'm going to come up with three things that you can discuss every week about the message, and uh, Three for the Road, but it's not called that today, but... It's just called Talking Points, so creative, right? Um, but remember those sheets, right, the re-up, you know, to say, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm going to protect the unity of this church. I'm going to share the responsibility of this church. And so, um, you, again, you can drop those, you know, on the table where you grab your communion, where you drop in your offering, and then there's a quarter sheet for you to pick up that just is, is for you to take home to remind yourself of what you're committing to, um, with the actual Scripture references there. So you guys will sit. I'm going to pray. Again, if you haven't grabbed your communion, feel free to do so. You can grab a box as well over there if you want to. Uh, Father God, we love you. And God, I thank you for allowing us to be in your kingdom. God, for adopting us into your family. God, for looking beyond our brokenness and longing to restore the intimacy and the image that was part of your creation in the beginning. God, help us to be a people, Lord, that chase after you. And Father God, I pray for anyone, Lord, that's struggling right now to know that you're bigger and stronger than anything we could ever face. In Jesus' name, amen.